I invite you this morning to take your Bibles and open them to Ephesians chapter 4. If you have an electronic device or whatever you're using, um, sometimes it's hard to see the connection and the flow. Uh, with the Bible, with the different columns and stuff, sometimes you see it. Electronic devices are wonderful. I love them as well. So if you have one, you can make a two-column, whatever. Uh, that's great. I'm just trying to give you an idea that so much of what I'm saying today uh, flows. And I think it'd be helpful as, as I begin just to read the section of Scripture we're going to look at today uh, in case you're reading it along on your phone or electronic device. Or if you have your Bible open, you should be able to see the whole picture of how truth and love and freedom uh, connect together. I want to begin in verse 14. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness and of the men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. What, what an interesting phrase, just to stop there. I mentioned it last week. The word speaking is not in the original. Um, we think of truth as a noun. Paul uses it as a verb. And what he says here, instead, truthing in love. It's more than just speaking it. It's being shaped by it. We will in all things grow up into him who's the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, in fact, I insist in it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understandings, separated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust or greed for more. You, you, however, did not learn Christ that way. Surely you've heard of him. And we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You are taught in regard to your formal ways to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by his deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we're all members of one body. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Isn't that a great phrase? He who has been stealing must steal no more, but must work doing something useful with his hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let's get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, for the kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Truthing love, the connection between truth, love, 
and freedom is what I want to talk to you today about. And to me, it's like skipping stones, though, when we try to cover this particular subject today. Uh, many, many years ago, went to Augusta for a practice round on a Tuesday, and on the 16th hole, it's called Redbud, the 170-yard par 3. One of the most remarkable things I did not expect to see occurred, and I understand it happens every year in terms of the tradition. But those athletes, those golfers, on the 16th hole, in front of the 16th hole is this little pond, and they would take their golf club and they would skip the golf ball across the pond onto the green. Most amazing thing I'd ever seen. Some of them, they would try it, and of course, they would never try it in the regular game, but in practice rounds, they're sitting there and skipping the golf ball in the water to some of them made the green. Skipping stones is fun, but it's not that deep. It's not that intense. What I want to tell you today is that today I realize that I may leave some unanswered questions. It may not deal with everything in this text, but there's enough in here, I think, that can motivate us to see the importance of what truth is and how we are to handle it. And this word just permeates this entire chapter. The first thing I want to talk to you about is the purpose of truth. And it's found here in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. And the purpose of truth here, it says, speak the truth in love. So in all things, we'll grow up into him who's the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part, as each one does its part. The speaking the truth in love, what's the purpose of it? Well, first of all, it's to help us grow up. Every one of us, no matter what age we are, if you're 80 years old or if you're eight years old or 12 years old or 15 years old, when we come into the family of God, we all come as babies. God gives us this incredible life, but we begin as spiritual infants. We're babies in Christ. And Peter says we're to grow into our salvation. And Paul talks constantly about the desire that we should have is not to remain as babies, but to grow up in the Lord. The purpose of speaking truth and love is to help us to grow up. It's also to build one another up. It's for the purpose of encouraging one another. In fact, if you recall back in verse 20, uh, as we looked at just a moment ago, we're to speak in such a way in our conversations to build one another up. So it benefits every one of us. So that truthing the love, that shaping the love is there for the reason to, to build up, to encourage one another. So we'll be united and treat others the way we should treat others. To the Corinthians, Paul said, I want you to rejoice with the truth. And then we find that in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And that Christ says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will do what? See, set you free. Not just any truth, but the truth that's found in Jesus will give you the freedom that you're supposed to have. We have this truth and love mixture proper that gives us this freedom where we've been set free. Now, stay on that slide there, but I'm going to go to a couple from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 beginning. What this purpose of growing and encouraging and building and what this freedom looks like in chapter 113, he says, when you were included in Christ, you heard, you listened to the word of truth. You saw the content of this message as being true. So what did you do? He says, you believed. You put your faith in Jesus. What happened then? Well, you were marked and given the seal of the Holy Spirit, uh, which is your down payment, guaranteeing the inheritance that you have. Change. Jesus gives us the ability to be changed from the inside out, from the old to the new, to be born again. Uh, He says here in chapter 4, we just saw, to speak the truth in love, that it helps us to grow. Uh, In chapter 4, verse 20, 
It talks about in Christ we have this freedom because in Jesus we know the truth that's found in Jesus. In verse 24 he says we live this new self because in that we find true righteousness and holiness. In chapter 5 he says in verse 8 that we are children of light because that produces the fruit of goodness and righteousness and truth. And he tells us to be very careful how we live. And then in chapter 6 verse 14 he says we have this armor This armor and the belt of our armor is called the what? The belt of what? Truth. See, everything about this importance of speaking truth in love is that we're growing, we build one another up, and we have this freedom that's found in Christ. Listen to me. It changes you from the inside out. You are shaped by the truth. You show this truth to others and your relationships with others. It's fruitful. It shows integrity. And we're prepared for the spiritual warfare. Now, that, that's the purpose of truth. Now, here comes the next part, verse 17 and 19, the twisting of the truth. The twisting of the truth. Look in, four, uh, in these verses here, in verses 14 and following. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and the craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Truth, love, and freedom are connected by Jesus Christ, Right? I want you to point that out. More often than not, though, truth is linked to power, control, and manipulation. Very seldom is it considered truth in terms of being freeing, but truth, when it's twisted, is about controlling others. Ephesians 4, verse 14, notice what he says. Don't remain spiritual infants that can be tossed back and forth. Twisting truth for the purpose of controlling is is that you want people to stay in an infant state. You don't want them to grow. Power is in controlling the truth. If you control the information, if you control the message, you control the people. Communication directors for corporate corporations disseminate the truth sometimes. Political pundits will spin the truth. Cult leaders will brainwash its members with its version of the truth. Churches, for their members, will create compliant legalistic rules to make sure their members are controlled in how they think or believe. I grew up in the Church of Christ when you can only use one version of the Bible. And if you didn't, you got a lecture. You could only use Church of Christ material. If it wasn't written by a Church of Christ member, you couldn't use that material. And all all these rules and regulations and legalism, as if we had the answers to everything. And all it was is controlling the message, controlling the members, keeping them infants, not letting them think for themselves. So we have, the fact of the matter is, many nations do not want its citizens to be informed. Many corporations do not want their consumers to have more knowledge. Many churches do not want their members to grow. Cults certainly do not want their members to think on their own. And so you have the answer, the question, why? Why is truth twisted? The truth is twisted to control others to keep you in a baby's baby state so that you will not think 
for yourself. It's so contrary to what Jesus wants us to do. It's a brand of our truth that if you don't agree with it, we exclude you and we do not have anything to do with you. So that happens. Twisted truth seeks to control, but not only seeks to control, it manipulates others. Look here in verse 14 again. Uh, Blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and the craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Warnings throughout the New Testament, always from Paul and others, grow up in the Lord. Don't remain an infant. Because there are false teachers out there. There are false things out there. People who want to manipulate you and cause you to be deceived for their own scheming. You won't be duped if you're growing. You won't be duped by those who twist the truth for their own schemes. And there are people out there, aren't there, who teach false stuff in the name of Christ for their own personal schemes. Twisting the truth is also used to gain advantage over others. Look in verse uh, 25 through 31. I'm not going to read all these verses. But tucked into these is how we can use speech or truthfulness to control others, to harm them, or to use them to our own advantage. And some people twist the truth to do that. They will speak uh, this twisted truth to their neighbor, or they'll speak twisted truth about their neighbor. Instead of living a life in integrity, they will say unwholesome things that are hurtful and harmful to others to either put them down so that they feel better about themselves or others will think badly about them so they can elevate their own position. It's a manipulation. It's a twisting of the truth. A heart that does that is filled with bitterness and rage and anger, brawling, slander, malice. It's twisted truth. It's a twisted truth. So the bottom line is that those who twist the truth for power, manipulation, or to hurt others lack this line, this word called integrity. You with me? Some people twist the truth. Then the third thing is from this, verse 17 through 19, is that some people make the wrong assumptions about the truth. How can you make wrong assumptions about the truth? That just doesn't make sense until you read what Paul says. Verse 17 and following, I tell you this, no, I insist on this in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in understanding, separated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. On several occasions, did you know in the, in the New Testament it refers to Paul as a very smart man? Are you all aware of that? Highly educated, highly intellectual. Paul chose to use his intellectualism to be ignorant about Jesus. You getting that? You can be very smart, intellectual, and be ignorant in certain areas deliberately. It's your epistemology. It is the way you know things, the way you derive your understanding. You can choose deliberately to be ignorant of certain things because it doesn't fit into the way you learn things. Paul deliberately, as smart as he was, chose to ignore the obvious fact that Jesus Christ was Lord. And so he went about house to house, persecuting the way. That's what it was called before it was called Christian. He put them in jail, put some of them to death, separated families zealously, passionately. Everything heart-hardened towards who Jesus was. Although he was smart and intellectual, he made the wrong assumption about the truth. 
So it's no wonder then when Paul talks to these Ephesians, he says, look, in chapter 3, I'm a prisoner for your sake. Chapter 4, I urge you, I implore you, as a prisoner for the Lord, live a life worthy of the calling. No surprise here in verse 17, I insist on the Lord that you, you left this life, don't go back into it. This was the wrong assumptions about truth. And they'll tell people, be careful how they live in chapter 5. And to live as children of light, Paul is zealous and passionate with the Ephesians and with us to remind us that there's a connection between truth and love and freedom that's found in Jesus Christ. Do you see what is wrong in the assumption here of the people here in verse 17 through 19? The lives that are dark and that are futile? What is the wrong assumption here regarding truth? The assumption is that you can have true freedom and true fulfillment in life without God. That you can have it without God, apart from God. Now, notice I said true freedom and true fulfillment. Most people in this world, would you agree with me, do not follow Jesus Christ as Lord? That's primarily true. Most people in this world are not followers of Christ. But not everyone in this world is miserable, unhappy, and wishing that they found something different in life feeling unfulfilled because they don't know Jesus. That's such an exaggeration. It's too simplistic. In fact, Zophar, the the friend of Job one time, came to Job and said, Job, look, I found out that all evil people die young. They're not happy on this life, and they'll be judged in the end life. And Job says, whoa, wait a minute. I know a lot of evil people who live to see their children's children's children. I know a lot of evil people are very happy. They're very content in their life. I know a lot of people who are mourned when they die. Their conduct is just despicable and no one ever says anything about it. And when they die, they're honored as a great person. Job says, no, what you're saying doesn't hold water. They do live a long time. And sometimes in their mind, they're very, very happy and very content the way they define happiness and contentment. But then Job says later on, but what they don't know is that God will judge them for what they've done. And there's no assurance or security for them down the road. Now, why do I bring this back? Because here's the wrong assumption regarding the truth. They believe in this verse of 17 through 19 that you can find true fulfillment and true freedom separated from God. For centuries now in our world, the smart people, the intellectual people, and the leaders of many nations are absolutely convinced that truth can be found apart from God. It's taught that way in our universities. It's taught that way in academics. It's taught that way. It's believed that way by many in philosophy. And here's the idea. Here's the futile thinking. That you can have a moral and ethical standard with vices and virtues without needing God. And that people will follow after them. That's a wrong assumption. There can be no moral objectives, moral objectives apart from God. What's an objective moral value? In philosophy, you guys ready for philosophy course here? (laughs) It means something valid and binding whether a person believes it or not. If we took a poll today and said, how many believe this to be true or not? And 70% of you said, you don't think it's true? If it's objective morals, it's true. Whether you accept it as truth or not. Okay. In our world today, 
the intellectual smart people say that there are no objective moral standards. And if there are, you can have them without God. That's, that's a wrong assumption. Now, there's two schools of thoughts on that. Just let me kind of go through it for a moment. First of all, if there are objective moral standards, they are discovered by us and not invented by us. See the difference? If they're objective, valid, binding, moral standards, we discover them. We don't invent them. First school of thought is, is that every moral, every ethic has been invented by people. People wanted to get along in families, societies, civilizations, states, and nations. In order to get along, they create all these rules of how to get along with each other, which became rules of morals and ethical standards. So you don't need God for that. It, came, it was invented by people. That's what they claim. And in the process of that, they say the reason why you follow after them is because of fear and pride. And out of willpower, you will be a person that that society, family, or civilization demands because you want to fit in. But they are invented by humans. So therefore, if somebody does not fit in, since we invented them, guess what we can do with them? We can change them because we are in control of them. First thought. Are you with me? Or is that just <laughs> Second school of thought. If God does not exist, everything is permitted. There are no morals. There are no that. There is nothing. No good, evil, bad. Nothing. No love. Nothing. If God does not exist, nothing exists. So how do we get along? People invent ways to get along because we are not isolated. We want to be around others. And so we will follow the rules and we'll go along with morals and ethics that are established by nations, states, civilizations, families, because we want to live in a society with others. And we do this because out of fear and pride, we're afraid we'll lose someone or lose something or that we will lose our reputation or lose our name or lose our integrity, or lose whatever standing we have, or lose our spouse if we act this way, or lose trust in people who, if we're lying to them that way, the only reason we do it is to fit in, invented by humans, to keep us all working together. That is what's going on in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. It's also what's going on in our country today, folks. In our nation today, you will see and hear and sense the frustration of many in our society. The question that's being asked more and more, why is our country moving so far away from the truths of the Bible? Why are we losing this battle for truth? A very simplistic answer is we were used to living in a nation where we had control of the message. Where it used to be politicians had to cater to Christians. Or the Christian values. That no longer exists. So things that we used to think we could do through the message, through laws and stuff, we see them being changed. The answer is our country is moving further and further away from the Bible because it does not believe that there is an objective moral standard and we can live life apart from God. There is no stopping that in terms of control. 
Why can't our leaders and intellectuals of our society see the laws that they're passing and the political correctness that they are enforcing is not bringing about the freedom that they desire, but ushering in more and more evil, indulgence, and greed? Why can't they see that? You see, they see it because they don't want to see it. They've made a wrong assumption about truths and morals. They believe that truth is not objective, but it's constructed and invented by humans. And if it's invented and constructed by humans, when there's someone in our society that no longer fits in, we just change the truth. And then we enforce it through political correctness and through legislation to make, every, make sure everybody complies to this new truth. It's a wrong assumption. Now, what Paul says is that there's a world of difference between discovery and invention. He said, you used to live this way, but what did you discover? You discovered God. You discovered what it meant to live a life in God. Don't go back to the invented way. Don't go back that way. Paul, notice, says it comes from ignorance. It comes from a hardened heart. Like when his heart was hardened towards Jesus originally. These are smart people. Some of those people are smarter than if we put all of our brains together in the room. They'd only be using one half of their brain tied behind their back. Smartness is not the issue. It's, it's the issue is ignorance. Hardening your heart to believe that you can live life without God is, Paul says, futile thinking. It's a darkened understanding. A life separated from God can never, ever experience true freedom and true fulfillment, and it's futile to think so. Instead, he says, here's what it leads to. Loss of sensitivity, indulgence, impurity, a continual lust for more and more and more, and a corrupted lifestyle, which we see all throughout our society today. You cannot sustain any moral or ethical standard without God long term. You can appeal to someone's pride. You can appeal to fear. You try to enforce it through the culture and through political correctness. But don't think that that's going to last because it will not. In fact, what Paul says, the more you do these things, the more you think that way, it's going to lead to worse and worse behavior. Paul says the evil people in Romans 1 will invent more ways to do evil. And we'll become more heartless and ruthless and faithless and heartless. That's why Paul says, I insist that you don't live this way. This doesn't bring freedom. This brings indulgence and greed. Are you with me? All right, let me move on. Wrong assumptions of truth, twisting the truth. Here's the identity of truth. Here's the identity of truth. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice the emphatic. It was your former way to live. And yes, it does sound like putting on clothes. You had on this one set of clothes. You're putting off the old self to put on the what? The new set of clothes. You're putting on the image of Christ. You're taking off that old self dominated by futile thinking and darkened understanding, a life that thought he could live apart from God. You're taking off that and putting on Jesus. 
And putting on Jesus, you've removed your hardened heart. You've opened your heart to him. You're no longer indulgent and greedy. You're now generous, sharing, loving, compassionate, speaking, truthing in love. Jesus identified here as the truth. It's interesting, this word here, very rarely does, does Paul use this. He just used the word Jesus. He uses talks about the Lord Jesus Christ or Christ or Lord. But here he says, you were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Jesus changes everything. When we know who Jesus is, then we agree with Peter that salvation can be found in no one else except him. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. Being a Christian here is putting on the new self. Now listen to me. It's not developing a new morality. It's not a new moral majority. It's not a new political group. It's not a, it's not a new ethical standard. It's a new self. It's who we are. And out of who we are, we're not motivated out of fear and pride, but we're motivated by love for who Jesus is. What Jesus has done for me, he's changed my mind, he's changed my life. And if we learn to be who we are, we will do what we're supposed to do. So important here to see this, who he is. He changes everything. If Jesus is who he says he is, I'm overwhelmed by his forgiveness. God has poured out his amazing grace towards me. I'm filled with his love and I'm no longer under condemnation, but I am free in Christ Jesus. And in this new self, out of this freedom, motivated by love, I desire to live this true righteousness and holiness. Let me wrap this up. Look at chapter 4, verse 32, 5 through 2, and we'll look at this word grace. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice for God. In a world that's seeking freedom through twisting the truth and making wrong assumptions, that true freedom and fulfillment can be found apart from Christ Jesus, you know better. You know better. You've been taught in accordance with Jesus Christ, who he is and his word, that truth. And what I see throughout this whole chapter being built up and growing and encouraging and how we have this new self, what I see here are two things that are connected. The first thing you see is that everything in your life hinges on your decision about Jesus Christ. Everything in your life hinges on that decision. Everything is changed by Jesus. He's either Jesus or he's not. Paul says, I'll even take it a step further. If he's not who he said he was, I'm out of here. This is not some legend. Jesus is real. He's the Christ. Everything hinges on it. I have a new life because of Christ Jesus. I put off the old self with its corruption and sin to put on the new self that Christ offers me. And I thought about this. For me to be a new self, I have to put off the old self. And even that hinges on Jesus. Do you know what Jesus did? Jesus had the new self, didn't he? There was not a sin in his garment. He took off the new self and put on the old self in order that I might have a new self. You think about the cross, the power of that? He who knew no sin became my sin 
so that sinful me might be declared sin-free. He took those holy, righteous garments of heaven and put on my old, stenchy, dirty, sinful rags so that I could have the new self. The new self. The stench of death at the cross is that fragrant offering for us. That cruel execution was a sacrifice for us. And on that darkest day when evil made the wrong assumption that it rid itself of this imposter Jesus, Jesus himself gave himself as an offering out of love and sacrifice on the cross to forgive us and to set us free because he's the truth. And in truth, it's set free. Everything hinges on my decision about Jesus Christ. I invite you to believe in him, repent, be baptized, and live for him. But here's a second word here. You've seen it, haven't you? It's not written here. But it's all throughout these pages is grace. Preachers can preach to a list. I could take 25 through 31, and I could just be like my third grade teacher, Mrs. Lindenbaum, who had on the board, every, every day he walked in on the board, don't lie, don't stay mad, don't steal your pencils from your friends, get along with others. Could preach to the virtues all day long. What would be the motivation? The motivation's grace. It's the grace that God has given us. I look at these verses, and folks, they're an impossibility by willpower. You cannot do those out of fear or pride. You can only do them for so long out of fear and pride. But after a while, hey, that's not going to work. These are impossible. Except through Jesus Christ. Except through the new self. Except through being connected to God. It's futile to think that we could take a list and put it up and say, I'm going to be a good employee. I'm going to be a good parent. I'm going to just give me the list. I'll follow the list. And by my willpower, I'll do it. No, you won't. You'll do it for a while. But you can't keep doing it out of fear and pride. Grace, the love that God has us, is what frees us to live the life that he's called us to do. Uh, I read this story many, many years ago about a minister who went to uh, India. And there in this small village, uh, he encountered this um, little carnival they had in the village. And this one farmer had a covey of quails that he had tied strings under one of their legs. And then he had tied the other end of the string to a round circular ring stake in the middle. And those quails walked around and walked around that circle, eating the food, water, all day long. Guy came up and saw him and says, I want to buy a quail. He says, how many? He says, I want to buy all of them. I want to send them free. The farmer said, well, all right, that's fine, you know. Here's how much they are. The guy bought them. He said, okay, snip off the strings and let them free. The farmer didn't care. He'd already been paid for. He said, okay. So he snipped off all the strings from the quail, and the quail just stayed there and kept walking around in a circle. So then the guy that just bought them went up to him and shoot him. And they flew off a few feet and landed. If they got organized, guess what they did? Kept walking around in a circle. So he went up to him again. And shoo, shoo. They flew off a few more feet, a little bit further this time. Landed. Guess what they did? Walked around and around in a circle. This guy did this all the way outside the village. Many, many times. And finally, on one attempt, on the last shoe, the birds took off and flew and went out of sight. Free at last. Freedom. 
Old habits are hard to break, aren't they? Sometimes we don't get this all right. We don't always do the right thing. We don't always treat our neighbor well. We don't always act with integrity. Sometimes we stay mad way too long. Sometimes we say things that are hurtful and harmful and twist the truth to manipulate and hurt other people through our, take advantage of them. We know that this grieves the Holy Spirit. We know that this is not pleasing to God. And it's coming out of that old self, that old self that's still tethered at times to the old way of life, walking around in that futile circle. But then God comes and shoes us by his grace. And we get up and fly again, only to land Walk in that circle again, but God in his persistent grace and Christ's incredible love stays with us and stays with us to finally we fly and we're free. That's what it means to speak the truth in love. This is what God has called us to be. If you're not a Christian this morning, I invite you to accept the new self that Christ has to offer you. Believe in him. Be baptized into his name. Uh, give your life to him. Let Be immersed in water. Just experience his forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Have that down deposit. And then let Jesus renew your mind, your thinking, your way of life. So that you'll see when truth and love connect, that's when I experience the freedom. For freedom's sake, Paul says, Christ has set us free. Set us free. This morning, if you need to respond, we invite you to do so right now as we stand.